Hey, I'm Amanda from Trifecta Fitness. We're proud to be Clarksville's new Get Fit headquarters. Trifecta Fitness is a state-of-the-art spin and strength training studio. Our spin studio is truly one of a kind in this area, complete with 20 state-of-the-art live fitness bikes and an incredible sound system. Our strength training is done in small groups of six or fewer, and all of our strength and spin classes are scalable for every level of experience. Come see us in the heart of Clarksville, just behind Mapco at the corner of Old Trenton Road and Wilma Rudolph Boulevard. Call us for more info at 931-542-6265 or download our Trifecta Fitness app for a full list of upcoming classes. Speaking of which, our next guest is a Midwest native. He graduated with a degree in nuclear medicine before pursuing his passion in finance. Now a registered investment advisor, he leads a new wave of the industry given his expertise to Bitcoin. He recently came out with his debut fiction novel, Manifest Destiny. So without further ado, let's welcome Zachary Daniel to the Misfit Nation. Welcome, Zach. Thanks, Rich. It's uh, it's really awesome to be here and and great intro. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm happy uh, to get going and thanks awesome. for taking me. Awesome. Thanks for agreeing to push up a, push up an hour of your day to me to meet up the live show and uh, give the Misfit Nation some tips, trips, tricks, and learn more about you. Uh, you as a, a human, you as everything you've done, and and the whole reason why you went from nuclear medicine to finance and why I study nuclear medicine in the first place and then go that way. So that's a great journey you have. And I, I'm sure the audience will love it. Yeah. 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 I can uh, offer as much as I can, you know, I'm young. So, uh, <laughs> you know, some people view that as, uh, you know, not having enough uh, life experience to kind of give insights onto 
on the certain topics, but I've I've covered a breath in my short time on Earth. So, uh, you know, I hope I could, the audience can take away something, whether, you know, something to avoid or something to take with them for the future. So, uh, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm also a Midwest native. So from Wisconsin originally, um, went to school there, grew up there. And uh, now I'm now I'm residing in Oregon. So kind of made the move out west and never looked back. <laughs> I missed the Midwest, though. Uh, trust me, I missed the Midwest. You went from kind of cold to kind of wet and cold. So. Yeah. yeah, no snow out here. But, uh, yeah. you know, there's something to be said about the Midwest hospitality and, and way of living. So um, different way I've, of eating, too, in the Midwest. So. Different way of eating, different way of drinking. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Wisconsin I, definitely got drinking down pat. So. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But, um, but yeah, you touched on some of my background, and so uh, I guess I probably should start with nuclear medicine because people are probably right. wondering. Nuclear medicine—that sounds sounds dangerous. Sounds fancy. <laughs> it's a big word. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a vocab word of the day. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, I, I went to school for nuclear medicine. I kind of always knew I wanted to be in healthcare. Uh, mom was a nurse, and and just kind of fit in with my personality. I liked healthcare, thought it was fascinating from a science side, but also just kind of helping people side. And nuclear medicine, basically, for people that don't know, is a imaging modality. So like, you know, you have x-ray, CT, MRI. Most of those look at body structures, whereas nuclear medicine looks at body systems, like how they're functioning. So, you know, a CT might show the heart or bones, ligaments, but nuclear medicine will show how the heart's functioning, how um, the liver's functioning, gallbladder. There's a whole gambit of different scans and tests that we can use for different body systems. But where the nuclear part comes in is all of our uh, imaging techniques use radiopharmaceuticals. So basically a nuclear isotope tagged to a pharmaceutical. And then we use the cameras to detect that radiation in the body, which helps give us uh, the images that we need. So it's kind of, it sounds sci-fi and it sounds like something like uh, the Hulk or something like gamma radiation is about to turn you green, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's so the opposite of what the popular media um, portrays it as that it's, it's when I first saw the, uh, the Avengers and like learned about the Hulk and it was like gamma radiation. I'm like, no, no, that's so wrong. That's like the opposite of what, of what it actually happens. But, um, but yeah, no, it's study nuclear medicine and, uh, um, really liked it. Um, found, a found a good job, but I kind of always had this, uh, I guess you could say an entrepreneurial spirit and, uh, that kind of just coincided with me leaving that profession to kind of go a 180 into the finance field and, um, and start my own investment practice and, you know, kind of the rest is history there, but, uh, <laughs> Um, so what did your family think when you did that 180 one from nuke medicine into finance? That's a good question. Uh, yeah. Uh, my dad said, uh, so you paid all that money for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> good dad. Which, answer. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure, uh, rich, that's probably exactly what you'd say. <laughs> um, but yeah, he said, you know, you paid all that money for nothing. And I, I don't view it that way. Um, one, I like nuclear medicine and I guess I could always go back to that profession. Um, Two, I don't think that I would have came to this conclusion or, or gone the same path had I not gone to school. Um, I think those years were really formative and just rounding out my knowledge base and just kind of learning uh, kind of new experiences and, and just growing up. 
maturing a little bit. So I don't think my path would have been the same had I not gone to school. So, you know, uh, but I get it from his point of view. You know, he spent four years in college, which isn't cheap <laughs> to yeah. just spend, uh, you know, a year and a half in the profession and then whoop, a 180. So um, they were actually very supportive of me making the switch. Uh, and I think a lot of that had to do with when I was in school, I started my first business, um, which was a Bitcoin ATM company. And the thing with the Bitcoin ATM company, it was, I had no money. I was living in like public housing and I had this idea for a Bitcoin ATM with a partner. No one wanted to fund it. No one wanted to put in any money towards it. They're like a Bitcoin ATM. That's not going to make any money. You and my, you know, my parents were like, you should be focusing on school and then you can go do the Bitcoin ATM stuff, right? <laughs> go to school, get a steady job, and then you can go do whatever you want. And I'm like, business has a lot to do with timing. And I'm like, you know, the opportunity window is not going to be here in two years, three years. And, you know, the opportunity is now. So, uh, and, you know, all I needed was about, I think we needed like five grand to start the business. So it wasn't an absorbent amount of money to start a business, right? If you think about starting a business, people are thinking hundreds of thousands and stuff. But um, so we had a lot of conflict <laughs> in starting that first business to where um, I ended up taking out a personal loan at a very high APR and my partner <laughs> borrowed from his dad's um, retirement savings. So, uh, but we made it work and it was successful. And after that initial success and seeing, oh, okay, maybe, um, you know, maybe this can be successful. I think my parents were much more receptive to well, you know, you've obviously put a lot of thought into this. You understand the risks. You're willing to take them. Um, you know, that's not a guarantee of success or anything, but they were they were fine with, they understood and they were supportive, very supportive about it when I laid out the, you know, the business plan and understood the risks and, but, you know, liabilities I might have. So, um, yeah, they, they, they're great parents and, and I kind of broke them in after that first business. So by the time I was like, hey, I'm quitting my job. I'm going to do, do a 180. They were like, yeah, you've obviously thought about it. So whatever, we're behind you. So like, here we go again. Here we go again. Yeah. He's doing it again. That, that's kind of the, the mantra that they've taken on. So, um, yeah, so you already kind of broke the egg when you started that business. And then the 180 just shattered it. So I think uh, they were like, all right, he's, he knows what he wants to do. He's going to do it. Exactly. And. I, I do give them a lot of credit. I, I appreciate the, they always are pretty honest with me. So, and they always bring up things that I, I don't always think of. So, you know, it's not like they're just like, Oh wow. Zach has a new idea They're They, they grill me about it. So <laughs> and I appreciate that. Um, you guys do like, zoom calls now since we're far away or. I, well, now that I started, you know, now that my, I guess I'm, you know, my own boss, um, sometimes I'll go home for a couple of weeks and okay. just, you know, see them that way, be able to do work from home and, uh, and just hang out and be around. Um, so get we get each other a good amount. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, mom's cooking. I get so spoiled. I turn into a child when I get home. I'll, I'll say, <laughs> I'll admit it. I turn into a, a adolescent when I get home, you know, um, have mom cook for me, you know, just regressing, regressing. So that's <laughs> want to do your laundry there. So that's good. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. All, all the creature comforts of being home and mm -hmm. having a mom who wants to be wants you home all the time anyway. So that's the best thing to have. Go home and get that first meal, and then 
what else can we do for you? Why, why won't you stay? Why don't you stay? Why are you staying all the way out that Oregon place? Yeah. <laughs> you really sound like you really sound like them right now. <laughs> I've heard all these before. <laughs> yeah. 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 I can see myself moving back, uh, moving back to Wisconsin at some, some time in my life, maybe the next few years or so. Okay. We'll see. What school did you go to? Did you go in Wisconsin itself? Yeah, I went to University of Wisconsin Lacrosse. Okay, uh, it's on the Mississippi River. Great, great town. Great, great school too. I loved, I loved lacrosse. Um, the smile came up pretty good. Sounds like it's a party school, is what I'm hearing. Uh, it, it, it can be. It can be. Yeah. <laughs> I think. Uh, I think lacrosse is the most bars per capita in the country. So, if that helps explain. Yes, you know, it does. <laughs> qualify that statement of party school. Um, it's not a party school like Madison, but, you know, we get after it. And uh, lacrosse is the only pro, uh, school with a nuclear medicine program in Wisconsin. So it's a very niche kind of small uh, profession. So um, and that was, you know, that was another thing. I wanted to originally go to Minnesota or Madison. And my parents being, you know, smart and savvy, smarter than 18 year old headstrong kid were like, listen, Look at what you're going to pay going to Madison. Look at what you're going to pay going to Minnesota. And look at what you're going to pay going lacrosse. Right. And, and you know, when they broke it down like that, they had a good, they had a very good point. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they, sometimes parents know, what's that saying? As you get older, your parents get wiser. Yes. And you start listening to what they said. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. So. But I tell my daughter all the time now she keeps coming back to me saying, "Oh, you said that. I know I said that. Yeah. I understand." <laughs> uh, yeah. Sometimes you just think your parents are saying things to say things, but just to say, yeah, he, yeah. they're just saying it. They're crazy. They don't. They don't mean. Especially when you're a teenager, you don't want to hear it. So it's yeah. when you, oh. when you get older and you start making them same mistakes that uh, they made as at your age, and they're like, "I told you so." No, can't be right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So how long did you keep the Bitcoin ATM uh, business going? And is it still going? Uh, it's not still going. So it, I would say it was going for about a year and a half. Um, I still do have a Bitcoin ATM. I just have it in my friend's shop and just casually do it. But it, it, I wouldn't consider it a business. Um, okay. The ATM in lacrosse, and we had a couple of them, uh, it was about a year and a half. And, you know, the problem with that business was the cash. So Bitcoin, being Bitcoin and it being cash-based, it was very uh, toxic to banks. Um, you, you think banks would just want your money, right? right? We would walk in with cash and the banks wouldn't want it. Um, right. So that was the issue, mostly because it was all centered around. In order for banks to properly follow you know, oversight and regulation, they needed to spend resources to oversee our account. So if our account's bringing in $150,000, $200,000 in cash, they need someone to oversee to make sure that we're not money laundering and all these different regulations wow. and stipulations. Um, and it just wasn't worth their time. That's basically what a few managers came to me and you know said off the books was like, listen, if you guys get to a million dollars in cash, we'll, we'll handle you. But we, it's not worth our time. Like this is, this is you know, difficult to – it's a business thing. It wasn't – I don't necessarily blame the banks. I necessarily blame the regulation governing the banks. Um, they were just making business decisions. So what happened was a lot of times we would get, um, because we didn't expect to be as as successful as it was, um, as we started to ramp up in volume, 
we we couldn't be ignored from the banks by bringing in a lot of cash. Um, and you know that scrutiny basically led to the banks usually closing down their accounts. And we we went through a few banks until we found a partner that we went through for about a year. And then once that ended, I was already back in Oregon. Um, I had bought out my partner, so I was solo, and it just it, it wasn't going to work anymore. So basically, kind of liquidated things and, and moved on. But it was, it was unfortunate because it was a really good business. But that's that's kind of how it goes. I was a, I was right opportunity as far as like getting my market share and um, you know a business, but I wasn't the right opportunity as far as the regulation. I okay. think if I would have done it today, the regulation would have been more friendly that I could have. I could have executed this, but the opportunity wouldn't be there. So, you know, it's kind of a hot potato. It's almost like a double-edged sword at that point. Yes. Yep. Exactly. So you're fighting both the, the man and the, and the economy at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but it was, it was a really good learning experience. It was a lot of fun. It was hard. Um, had to deal with a lot of, a lot of rejection. I, I remember I took off, I was doing, um, I was in my unpaid internship in Nuke Med, and I remember I took off a couple of days and hit like 30 banks, just like wow. meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting, just trying to get banking because we had just lost another one and we were frozen up. We had no more Bitcoin left. We were just sitting with a bunch of cash, and it was just an absolute mess all the time. The ATM would break at the beginning because we didn't really know what we were doing, and I was driving down like four hours there and back in the evenings to like fix it and then running we barely had any bitcoin in the atm so you know we get like two thousand dollars someone buy two thousand dollars and be out of bitcoin already so i'm, yeah. I'm driving down lacrosse because you know we started this with like no capital so <laughs> driving down lacrosse depositing yeah, it's just it was headache after headache but it was fun and i think that what that's what kind of gave me the passion for just kind of you know, wanting to start my own business one day is, yeah, it can be hard and challenging, but it's, it's fun. It's fun work in my opinion. Um, so yeah, it was, I think the challenge is more is part of it too. Of having that challenge is, is if something's easy, you don't want to do it. Or most people don't want to do something that's easy all the time. because it gets boring, but if it's a challenge every day, you wake up and say, how can I improve this? So the challenge is getting lesser and lesser until you like you now can go home for two weeks at a time and let the business run itself. And all you have to have is your, your phone and maybe a laptop. So that's the best way to live right there. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it was, it definitely ignited that. And, and I always had, you know, some guys with authority figures as far as like, well, why am I doing this? Because I told you to, well, that doesn't make any sense. But if you run your own business, well, why are we doing this? It doesn't work. Let's just change it. You know, it, it doesn't come to that kind of, uh, right. you, you just got to look in the mirror at that point. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's on you at that point. So, um, but yeah, so that was what kind of gave me the impetus to when, you know, I, I had always wanted to be in finance and always liked finance. Um, I thought my path was going to take me longer, but the kind of opportunity window opened. And so that's when I started kind of my investment practice. Um, and yeah, you know, obviously from, <laughs> from studying nuclear medicine, you're like, well, how do you get to investment advisor? It had been my passion. So I had been self teaching myself in, in kind of Austrian economics and then kind of putting my own investment theses together and investing my own funds. Um, so once I, you know, did the, the schoolwork to pass the, the investment advisor law exam combined with, you know, my previous 
you know, self teachings and then self action as far as investing, I felt uh, comfortable, you know, going at it. It's good though. You, you know, a lot of people with self teach yourself and not have the confidence to move forward. They'll, they'll have all this knowledge that they got from reading, uh, reading all these different articles or reading different textbooks or even watching YouTube videos. And then all of a sudden I got all this. I'm just going to put it over here because it's never going to work for me. I just wasted what X amount of time doing this. And now I'm going to look into something else and waste my time doing that because I don't have the confidence to move forward. Yeah, that's, that's very true. Well said. Um, yeah, a lot of people just spend a lot of time getting ready and then they just don't take that, that leap. Um, I'd say I, pr I probably see that a lot in uh, real estate. Like a lot of people, a lot of people talk about, Oh, I'll just get a passive, I'll just get a passive income property. And, and they kind of make it all sound hunky dory and like it just falls from the sky. Right. And, <laughs> and maybe they spend a lot of time and effort like watching YouTube videos, looking on Zillow, doing all the numbers, but they never, they never take that, that, that leap or that risk. Right. They always say, Oh, I'm going to do it in a few years. I'm going to do it in a few years. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's, that's very true. And um, so, yeah, I took that leap and uh, it's been, it's been great ever since. So. So how long have you uh, been doing the investment for stuff now? Uh, it's only been a couple of years. So it's still young and it's still, it's a practice that's still, still growing. So, you know, I, I, you know, things could still go off the rails. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not a mature business where it's like 10, 15, 20 years uh, of kind of building. It's still in its kind of infancy, but um, you know, I kind of, my approach is for investing is a little different than most traditional investment advisors. You know, most are like, 65 60 55 and I, I notice you know talking to people in the industry there's very herd mentality right right they have 10 million 100 million 200 million under management and it's all about not risking client funds doing anything different than anyone else because then they can point to well you did something different and it wasn't successful and your whole practice could, could kind of wipe out because they have this kind of cash cow that they're just so there's there's an extreme level of kind of risk aversion um, for a lot of investment advisors. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of view at least my niche of investment advisement is, you know, kind of differentiating that opportunity. You know, in order to have a higher level of return, you have to have a higher level of reward um, or a higher level of, sorry, if, in order to have a higher level of return, you have to have a higher level of risk. And so my expertise in digital currencies um, combined with, you know, looking at the kind of forward moving technology companies, uh, you know, those are more risky tranches, but uh, that's kind of where my, my niche is in guiding people through those kind of uh, riskier tranches for looking for higher reward, uh, much different than other investment advisors because most of them will never do anything like that because it's so, they view it as so far uh, kind of, I would say, I don't know if I would say endangering their practice, but putting their more of their livelihood at stake versus, you know, I'm trying to earn people's business by providing uh, kind of investment services that exceed, you know, the fee that they're paying. So, and kind so, of a stability thing they're looking for too. And some of the, like you're saying, those who are risk averse, they'll, when they're worried about harming their, the reputation with the client 
and also their reputation for future clients. So if yes. I tell you, Zach, and you you just go on to some Google form or whatever and say, that dude is horrible. He's a one star, if that. That's the only one. Like, I have to give you a star, so one star it is. And yeah. he's horrible. I'm done. I'm done because right, you can't remove that from Google. Yeah. Google, Google has no remorse. Even if it's a fake review, you're done at that point. Mm-hmm. So their reputation, you're dead at that point, and you have to either go into another firm and work from the bottom up again or all of a sudden have a, a home run off someone else and get that victory back. Yeah. No, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And um, so, you know, I, I always viewed investing, you know, I would say, you know, my firm, if, 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 if someone's like, oh, I just want all bonds or, you know, um, something very safe, that's probably not where you're, you're not coming to my firm for that. You're coming from my firm for a kind of a differentiated approach um, to, you know, asset allocation, investment advisement. Um, and certainly, you know, we take in everyone's risk tolerance and, and abilities and everything like that. But um, but we do things that are unconventional um, for investment advisors in the space. You know, dealing with Bitcoin and other digital currencies is definitely still a taboo among the right. industry. So... <laughs> And, and that the industry actually became kind of volatile last year uh, with uh, Elon Musk throwing his hat in there with Doge and such like that. People risking it all for the, that little, that quick windfall. And then it just, the ceiling just hit the wall and the, the bottom dropped out. Do you tell people the risks involved with Bitcoin or crypto in general hmm. as they get involved? Yeah. Yeah. I'm very, very upfront with the risks of Bitcoin. Um and, you know, there, there's Bitcoin and then there's kind of everything else. Right. So, um, you know, the, the risks for Bitcoin are total, right? You know, you can lose all your investment. Now, do I think that's a, a high percentage chance? No. And as time, that continues to, to lessen. But, um, but there is risk. And, you know, you can't have some, an asset that goes up 500, 600, 1,000 percent without it dropping 70 80 percent that's just that's just the name of the game so where investment advisement kind of fits into that is one you know my expertise in the industry spending you know thousands of hours on it and doing a lot from the bitcoin etm to mining to teaching classes everything uh understanding what the technology is and and where it's going and where the risks are right Uh, media will always kind of say well oh it's it's this risk or that risk but understanding what the true risks are and what to kind of look forward that would change the investment thesis. That's kind of where I can cut through the noise. Um, whereas clients, if they're just holding Bitcoin themselves, they can kind of get, they don't know what what's to trust, right? They don't know what's real. Um, and they can kind of fall into the trap of, you know, say Bitcoin was at 16,000 and the news media comes out, it's going to zero and they sell. Right. And then they buy back at 24 and then they, all of a sudden, Bitcoin goes up, but they lost money. That's what happens to a lot of people <laughs> that originally get in or um, or they get uh, drawn in with all the fancy NFTs or Dogecoin or altcoins. And 98%, 99% is our complete garbage going to zero, our complete scams. Um, I, I wouldn't say they're all scams, but um, for a variety of reasons. The team isn't great. Uh, it, it's a scam. The tokenomics are bad. Uh, there's no real world use case. The tech doesn't exist. It's overhyped marketing, VC dump, you know, you name it, uh, uh, contract exploit. There's a whole ton of reasons why these other cryptocurrencies fail. But the bottom line is people get sucked into them. Um, 
and believe the marketing hype because, you know, uh, Dogecoin, if you bought it five years ago, went up a million percent or something like that. So people are, the greed complex is really strong. The FOMO is really strong. And I'm there as an investment advisor to to level it out, to, to, you know, to understand where the industry is going, you know, what to avoid, what to kind of trust and uh, and kind of navigate through that because I think the future is very bright for um, for Bitcoin and I think the whole space is the space as a whole but I can't say with certainty that other projects are going to be around and significant players in five years compared to I can say that with Bitcoin right and your job now is just to basically make sure that rudders in the water and they're going the right direction yep yep exactly adverse turn left or right in the wind up blaming you for something that they chose to do. Yeah. Yeah. And they, well, you know, at the end of the day, I, I'm, I'm responsible. Right. So, right. um, yeah, they can't blame me. Um, I, I take that, I take that onus on myself. So I, I take a lot of pride in my, um, in my analyses and, and my investment theses. And so if they, if, you know, if they don't work, that's on me, like, you know, straight right. up. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's been great, and I and I just I have such a passion for for Bitcoin um, and investing as a whole. So I just want to see people do well and and be able to accomplish their you know their investment goals. Outstanding. And we talked about your parents and how loving they are to you and how much advice they give you. But we didn't talk about it wasn't a nuclear family; it was an adoptive family, right? Mm-hmm. So how was that experience? And how old were you when you were adopted? And the meshing. I know it, it was a multi a different race from a family to you and how did all that work out for you as you were adopted and grew up yeah yeah it was i was uh i was adopted you know basically as an infant um i'm mixed so half half black half white and my parents are white so you know definitely there was no hiding that i was adopted no way <laughs> so, yeah. no he's just he's just really you're just really tan zach you know um <laughs> So there's no hiding that. So I kind of knew, I knew from the start and, um, and I would say, you know, it was a great, they're my family, you know, they're my parents. I never for once ever even doubted that, you know, I was, I'm adopted. Am I really their parents? No, that was never the case. Um, and I really had no concept, I would say of me being like a different race really until I would say middle, middle school, high school. Obviously, middle school, high school is like, man, if there's if there's the most evil people on the planet. <laughs> yes. But um, and I had a great middle school, high school, a lot of, a lot of good friends and a lot of good memories. But there, there was no uh, there was no avoiding the race thing. You know, you go to a, a middle class, uh, basically 98 percent white middle school and high school, then you, and you're one of the only black people, especially one of the only black people with adoptive parents um there's like no avoiding that kind of racial identity so um so that was you know that was an interesting dynamic and i think it taught me i think it taught me a lot um it had me develop kind of my identity early on um because there wasn't really any camp that i could like just go i guess run to you could say <laughs> you know uh there's really no camp that i could like cling to when you're kind of a uh you know finding yourself as a middle schooler or high schooler so I kind of forged my own identity early, which I think has helped me in life and in business, um, you know, in these years and, and probably future. But 
the interesting thing, I mean, obviously white parents, you know, what do they say to their, what do they say to their kid? You know, they were always there loving and supportive, but like, you got to kind of figure, I have to kind of figure it out myself, right? There's nothing that they can, they can't relate and they can't like act like they were in my shoes or really know what to say. So, um, so I think that was hard for them. Um, cause I think, you know, as a parent, you just want to make everything all right and you just right. want to protect them and like, don't want the world to be evil to them or anything like that. So I think they felt very stuck sometimes. It's like, well, what do we say to Zach? Um, seems like he had a bad day today. What, you know, so I think they, they were stuck there, but for me, you know, it's just, you just got to work through it. Right. There's no substitute for, you know, there's no quick fix. There's no substitute. And, um, so that was, that was interesting. And I, I at least never had, um, any overt treatment in my opinion from authority the teachers, coaches, um, employers due to my race at all. Um, at least not that I could tell. If anything, I kind of liked it in sports because, like, if there's, like, 20 white kids coming out for baseball and there's one black kid, like, anytime I do something, it's going to be attributed to me. Like, everyone else kind of blends in, you know, for tryouts or stuff. And, oh, yeah, that's Zach. You know, I, I kind of st- stood out because, oh, so. Who's that um, kid? Yeah. Was, yeah, it's a black kid. So, um, so I, I like that aspect for sports. It always made me stand out um, just – you know, I mean, sometimes it's bad if I made a bad block or, you know, <laughs> something oh, like awesome. that. It's like, oh, yeah. But, uh, so yeah, no, that was, that was kind of that childhood dynamic. And I actually reconnected with my birth mom after, oh, I, I didn't know her for 18 years, reconnected with her after 18, um, and kind of started forming a relationship there. Found that I had a half brother, half sister. Um, and it was, it was interesting meeting her for the first time and the family for the first time because, you know, there's this debate, nature versus nurture. And there is some nature for sure. Um, I think it's for me, I think it's like 60, 40, maybe 70, 30 to the the nurture side. But there were some things meeting for the first time, 18 years, never, never met any of them, never talked to any of them, don't know anything about them. But there were some situations where they would say something that I would say normally, or the humor was like, what what's going on i feel like this is this is exactly what i would say or this is the exact type of humor that i would laugh at like goofy weird stuff that no one that i know would laugh at but it's just it was it was kind of uncanny that way and it was a it was an interesting first meeting for sure kind of like the twilight zone a little bit there yes yes exactly (laughs) exactly and I, i think you hit the nail on the head about middle schoolers and high schoolers they could be some evil people and that's a when most when you see things that happen on TV now in schools, it's usually middle or high school because of how evil they are to each other. Mm-hmm. And things escalate. Now I'm glad you were able to make it through there, uh, pretty much unscathed. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I I am too. And uh, yeah, you just you just got to realize that people really don't know what they're saying. They maybe they're trying to be funny, maybe they're trying to be ignorant, maybe they're trying to be mean. But you kind of I developed pretty early when someone's trying to be malicious through tone of voice or the way they say it or the exact wording that they do. And because if you got mad at everything, you know, I just, you just be an angry person. So just kind of understanding when that line is crossed uh, and then addressing it, um, you know, it, I think it saved me a lot of headache. <laughs> yeah. and, and a lot of uh, 
I guess, less stress on your chest after if you worry about everything every person said, you'll just mm-hmm. explode inside after a while because of all that tension that you're building up on yourself just to be mad at someone that probably in three years you'll never see again anyway. So it doesn't matter. That's true. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, it was, it was a good you've time. Done good. You've done well for yourself and but you also wrote a book that we haven't really touched much on here. We've we've talked about everything other aspect of their life. I think I hit everything else but the book. Do you have a copy with you there you can hold up or yeah uh I think it's it's uh it's in the background here. Yeah, let me see if I can grab it here. There we go. You got the there it is Zach's book, Manifest Destiny. So you can get that at I think Amazon and uh Barnes and Noble. I think I seen it on your website. So available at Amazon and Barnes and Noble, right? Yep. Uh, you know, all the all the online outlets and um yeah, no, Manifest Destiny, it's a it's a thriller kind of mystery. Okay. Um very character driven. Takes place in the nineties. Uh the main character, his his dad's is everything. His dad's his idol, who he wants to be, his best friend, and his dad was murdered when he was a teenager. Oh wow. Um during an apparent robbery. Um this obviously shakes him up real bad. Um he's already dealing with issues and this just kind of exacerbated everything. Uh, and fed into you know later in his life. So that happened during his teenage years. The book takes place when he's in his early thirties, um, and it takes place in the nineties. So he's got a lot of anger, a lot of um, sorrow, grief, revenge, uh, and he kind of unleashes it in an unhealthy way. Um, he deals with it in unhealthy ways, and there's a lot of flashbacks in the first half of the book that kind of go through that, but his best friend is a police officer who also lost his dad um, due to a heart attack during the teenage years. So that's how they kind of bonded um, over that shared loss. But with the heart attack, the, you know, he knew who was responsible. No one was really responsible for his dad's death versus the main character, Nick. He never found who did it. There was never that closure. And so they're, they're kind of talking about this one day and um, Chris offers to look back into his dad's murder to try to get Nick that closure. Uh, you know, DNA evidence is just coming out in the nineties. So he's thinking that, you know, maybe there's some DNA evidence that wasn't available 20 years ago that we could look at now. And so that's the kind of angle that the investigation goes after. So Chris is kind of dealing with the investigation and Nick kind of joins in at certain points, but, and, and then Nick's on his own kind of journey because basically his friend, Chris is like, dude, you have to get over this. Like, this kind of grief and sorrow and what you're holding on to is consuming your entire life. You don't necessarily see it, but it, it, it affects all aspects of your life and you need to get past it. So Nick takes it to heart and he starts kind of, you know, he starts changing. He starts reconnecting with family, um, you know, changing his outlook on things. And, and so the story progresses with the investigation and, you know, obviously the investigation kind of brings back past demons and, uh, and it kind of all culminates in the end. I want to, you know, spoil anything but right. um but yeah that's the the general the general outline of the the novel and um yeah it's a it can be intense but awesome now what made you want to write a book i mean you have all this other stuff that you you've been successful at and doing what made you say hey this week i'm going to write a book <laughs> um that's uh, i just i had the story in my mind and i thought it was going to make a good movie but I can't do a movie. So I was like, (laughs) I'll just write a book. You know, um, I started it in college. And so 
you know, it's, you know, that was like six, seven years I worked on it. Um, and some of that was because I'd work on it hard for six months, go through a bunch of redrafts, not do anything for six months and kind of came back to it when I, when I had a new passion or when someone edited for me, a friend or family member, and they had a bunch of feedback. And, um, and then some of it was just me growing as a writer. I hated writing originally like i i was I'm, i have the worst grammar and spelling of anyone most anyone i know and so i think it took me a long time in extra drafts to develop myself a little bit more as a writer to where you know it was book quality um and yeah that i just i had a story that i wanted to get out there and i couldn't do a movie so i'll write the book and um and it was kind of one of the only things that i you know I like to, if I'm going to say I'm going to do something, I need to do it, right? I need to try. And it was really one of the only things that I've ever done that, you know, I told people, oh, yeah, I'm writing the book and, you know, close family and friends. Because there's some people that, like, I came out with a book and they're like, you've been writing a book? <laughs> so I kind of kept it pretty close to the chest. Um, but it was something that I said I was going to do and I never followed through to completion. So, um, yeah, it was a very happy moment when I, you know, got published and, um really exciting to have people read it and give their give their feedback or what they think about certain characters or events and um, certainly friends and family can tell some of my voice shines through quite a quite a bit um, they'll send me a snapchat or a, a picture of like a section they're like that, that you is that you <laughs> like what yeah I don't know. Oh, so. <laughs> Well, most writers kind of put themselves into their characters as well it, or people they love into their characters so it that's an obvious thing, but for them to pick it out that quickly, that's good too. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough not to, you know. Right. <laughs> you know, I try to, um, especially the main character having so much like anger and uh, kind of vengeance and stuff. That's like the exact opposite of my personality. So I'm sure people are reading it like, is he like, is he okay? <laughs> like, I always wonder that about like Stephen King or someone. You know, when people read his stuff, his stuff is crazy. Yes, and I'm sure people around him are like. Um, you, you okay, Steven? You know, oh, it's you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was hoping that when I came out with this, like, no, it's just I, I have a creative side and I have an avid imagination, but none of this, you know, is necessarily self-reflective. So <laughs> outstanding. It's been the you've you've got a lot going on. You've you've done a lot. Like in the beginning of the show, you said I don't know if I can give any help or or hints to a lot of people because I'm young. Age really doesn't matter when you're successful. No matter what age you are, if you're doing the right things and making things happen, people will ask you questions, whether they're your peers or younger than you or older than you. It doesn't matter. All you have to do is keep that same confidence you have right now and speak to them the same way. If you do that, you do that every day. People will be asking you for advice every day on all aspects because you've been successful at every level. Everything you put your mind to, you've done, right? So you want to be in the finance arena but you went nuke medicine just to test those waters first. And then then left that you, you were successful there though. You did that and moved on. And then you went into the financial industry after you had your, your Bitcoin uh, ATMs and now you're an investing uh, helper. You help people with their investments uh, and an author. So you have everything going on. So that's great stuff. And uh, I applaud you for all everything you've done. Yeah. I appreciate that. Appreciate that rich. And uh, my brother just chimed in great chat. That's him on there. It's coming all the way from Jersey. He's yeah, shout out. Hey, Jersey, that's where the book takes place. So. Oh, look at that. Of course, murder in Jersey. Why not? 
Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <sorry. laughs> uh, so if you now, after I said all that, if you can give tips to someone that wants to either start an entrepreneurial journey or even become an author, what would you tell them? Yeah. From, from the entrepreneur side, it, it's just gotta be from a passion. That's, that's the, that's the only way is like, if you're a real passionate, I, I generally, and then, it'd be very tough for me to envision being entrepreneurial with something just to make, just try to make money. Um, because, you know, you got to have that drive of passion, no matter, you know, to make it successful. Cause that's going to, people are going to read off that. If you're trying to, to sell something or uh, sell a service or something and they, people, you know, you're trying to attract people away from an existing service and they can't feel that passion and that energy from you. It's, it's, it's not going to work nine times out of 10. Of course, there's always exceptions, but, um, and then I would just say, you know, you have more time than you think. Um, you know, a lot of people kind of say, you know, kind of the slang is, oh yeah, I just woke, you know, life went by 10 years just went by this year went by. But if you spend a little bit of time every day doing something time, you have a lot more time than you think. And after a year, two years, three years, five years, 10 years, just spending a little time every day on something, that you're working on, or even if it's just like a hobby or something, you're really going to accrue those benefits uh, over time. Um, so I guess I would say passion, and then you have more time than you think. So uh, some people awesome. are like, yeah, like, well, you did the, this other stuff, and you wrote the book. Like, where'd you find time to do that? And it's like, I just, there's more time in the day than you think. And um, maybe you cut back for you know, one episode of Netflix to, <laughs> to do, you know, to do something else, you know, I, um, so that, that's kind of what I would say advice wise. And if, if anyone, I don't know, you have a lot of veterans that listen to your show, so I'm sure they're not, uh, you know, ready to jump into, uh, in the cryptocurrency anytime soon, but for people that are, um, any type of emerging industry, you know, you just got to do stuff in it. No one's like the true expert. And as the industry grows, you just gaining experience in it. Um, when the industry grows, even if you don't succeed in it, it's going to absorb you at some point. So those skills and, and time and experience that you had are going to be immensely valuable to the industry as a whole as it grows kind of around you. Um, so that's what I would say for anyone looking at getting into a kind of emerging new industry is just, just do stuff. Awesome. Zach, thanks for, again, agreeing to take another hour of your day away and come on a, an hour later. Uh, I know you're on the West Coast, so it's still daylight there a little bit probably. But uh, and, and share your experience with us and your entire journey. I think it's a, it's commendable what, you're di what you have done and what you are doing. And I, I want you to keep up that good work and keep pushing forward. Keep stacking them victories. I th thanks, Rich. I appreciate it. I will do. Will do. And, awesome. uh, and uh, you got to send me... Um, Send me your address after this. I'll send you a signed copy of the book. Awesome. Thanks, Zach. Sure. Yeah, you're welcome. All right. Thanks. You have a good night. Thanks, Rich. You too. Bye. Bye. Not on my show, it's not. This is how we do it.
isn't that much better. And that's how I do it every Tuesday and every Friday here at About Face Radio on the Just Wait Here show. Be sure to tune in. I'm on every Tuesday evening starting at 8 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. in the mountains, and 6 p.m. on the West Coast. Then catch my morning show on every Friday morning starting at 7 a.m. Central, 6 a.m. in the mountains, and 5 a.m. Pacific. Again, that's the Just Wait Here show with me, Max Wait, every Tuesday and every Friday. Be sure to be here on About Face Radio. I will see you then. Aloha. Thanks for checking us out and being a part of the Misfit Nation. Don't forget to visit our website at themisfitnation.com. It's themisfitnation.com to catch up on all of our episodes and also to get some of that great Misfit Nation gear. As always, be humble, stay hungry, and keep hustling because we are 